Because he told her, he he literally was like, you had one rule. Yeah. You had one rule, and it doesn't matter that you completed your task. And you killed two of my homies. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to get fairies around here? <laughs> I had to interview them in every Ophelia. They're coming to get you, Barbara. What an excellent day for an exorcism. He's gonna laugh at you. They're all gonna laugh at you. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Have you checked the children, children, children? Be afraid. Be very afraid. I only murder boys. I go both ways. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. I'm getting ready to watch a video. What? I'll do some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Mine sounds like a little echoey if I don't... I'm not, like, all upon it. If you're all upon it. If I'm, if I'm not all upon it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It's not. It's not worse than you looking at me with that biscotti. <laughs> okay, so Jazz brought biscotti over and delicious, right? They're, they're, they're really, really hard. Yeah, they're really crunchy. Um, and so like I took my bite from the front and it didn't work, so I took it from the side, like so my chompers could get it, and that worked. And then I look over and Jazz and she's got it like fully down her throat. <laughs> But it's like coming back out, and there's like crumbs. She's like, oh, like gagged herself, and I and I locked eyes with you because there was no, no way escaping. No coming back. No coming back from it. No coming back. And I just like instantly took out because I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> we'll come back to that yeah. later. You ready, Jazz? Mm-hmm. Um. Oh. <laughs> Should we be singers? My god, was that perfect pitch? (laughs) Harmony? (laughs) Alright, well, hi Lagoonies. Hello. That's what we're calling you guys now. I'm Serena. I'm Jazz. And we are the babes from the Black Lagoon, a bi-weekly lady horror podcast where we hang out and talk about some of our favorite horror genre films through a feminist lens. Jazz, what's been going on in your world? Oh my god, what the fuck has happened? We had our event. Yes, oh my god, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, October. Let me just like focus on October, right? Yeah. So, um, we had our event and it was really cute. Um... I loved your costume. I loved your costume. <laughs> you and we, yeah, let's just you and Andrew yeah. were Barnacle Boy and Mermaid Man. We were for and SpongeBob you, you showed up, and <laughs> I loved it so much. And it was so like you guys, yes, and like the way you curated your costumes was so like what so you guys like yeah. I don't know I don't know how to explain it other than that. Um, and yeah, it was just like a really fun event. We uh, hosted a scary movie watch. We watched Scream. Mm-hmm. We had a costume contest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of just like ended up having like unhinged. Un- fully karaoke. unhinged karaoke. 
karaoke. Yeah. Where it wasn't even like real karaoke. Yeah. It was more like we just sang to Spotify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, which like, yeah. And then some people, you know, like, I think you had to pick a song that you really knew because you either had to like pull the lyrics up on your phone or just follow your heart yeah. with the lyrics. Um, I wanted to start off with, oh, those are the rats in the background. Okay, I was like, what's going yeah, yeah. I don't think These I'll be able to edit that out. really well. Maybe, maybe too well. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to start with, like, a couple of Britney songs because it was, like, coinciding with the release of her book, yeah. The Woman in Me, yeah. which I'm, like, halfway through, mm. and... Oh, wow. Are you listening or reading? Listening. Okay. Yeah. Uh, audible girlies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I was like, maybe I would read that book. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like, read, read? Read, read. Read, read, yeah. I think it's good, though, because uh, it's, um, is it Carrie Mulligan? Carrie Mulligan? Or maybe, no, it's Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. Michelle Williams, uh, not Destiny's Child, Michelle Williams, but... Actress. Actress Michelle Williams does the narration, and she does an incredible job. So I think it's, like, very listenable. Mm -hmm. Brittany has, like, a little, like, introduction with her own voice at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, But she just, like, unleashes. Mm -hmm. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like she just... Yeah, her... It's just... It's it's insane. Like, because Brittany Spears, when I was growing up, she was just, like, on top of the world. And, again, I just... As a kid, I just did not... You don't understand all the nuances of everything that's going on. I didn't really think too much of, like... She was always scrutinized for, like, Mm -hmm. having her belly show and that she was, like this, like, wild pop star. Yeah, and, like, teen... That, that, that's how they spun yeah. it for kids, even. Yeah. It was, like, oh, this wild girl, like... But it, but it was also, like, you want to be like that, but don't be like that. It was a very confusing time for us. I just didn't even get that as a kid. I didn't think of her as this, like, oh, like, avert your eyes, yeah. you know? <laughs> I was just, like, this is one of my pop idols. Yeah. And yeah. I was... I, I always loved her and... Christina Aguilera. Mm-hmm. There was never a rivalry for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I always loved both of them. Those were my first two CDs ever in my oh, life. Oh, really? That's yeah. cute. <laughs> Mine was um, TLC. Ooh. Crazy Sexy Cool? Crazy Sexy Cool. Oh, yeah, Crazy okay. Sexy Cool. How to, yeah. Yeah. How to go in the file cabinet for that one. <laughs> um, but, like, not to derail too much, but I also mm-hmm. wanted to highlight your costume from oh, the event. Thanks. You went as a moth with yeah. your husband, Jeremy, who was a lamp. So it was, like, a moth and a lamp. And you had the fucking coolest, like, I, I don't even know how you made it exactly, but you had these, like, cool, like, ostrich feathers coming out of this helmety thing on your head. But you had these glowing red lights for eyeballs and you had this, like, whimsical, like, Stevie Nicks kind of, like, drapey black goodness. And you had these huge platform shoes on. Because when I first saw you, I was like, wait. <laughs> why are you so why tall? Why are you so tall? You're like, I'm taller than you. Why Why are you looking It felt real me? weird. It felt super weird. But, um, yeah, I was wearing slippers because I was mermaid yeah. man. And uh, you were in, like, platforms. And you looked so hot and so cool. Oh, cute. Thanks. <laughs> Well, I can't, um, my creative directiveness, uh, is not on my own. Um, I have to think TikTok because I feel like Mothman might've been like the costume of the year yeah, this year. Yeah. And a part of me, because I'm just like, oh man, like there's just like everyone else. Was everyone else was But then a part of me was just like, oh hell yeah. You know, like yeah. that's so fun. And it was like, it was kind of 
the same model, but it was fun to see how everyone else um, was, like, interpreting how they yeah. wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and I loved that photo you took of Jeremy and I. <laughs> I knew it was going to be, like, iconic, because I, I, like, posed them, like, just side by side, just kind of, like, straight arms. It was very, like, West Anderson-y. Yes. Yes, and it was just yeah. We should post. We should post that one if we mm-hmm. haven't already, um, so you guys could see. But uh, yeah, you guys killed it. And Jeremy's lampshade. It was so simple, but yet fucking hilarious. Because he was just like the the only thing you would really know that he was a lamp is because he literally wore a lampshade with lights inside them that he also had like a little remote too and he would just walk in and then like cook on the light mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it but everyone wanted to wear that fucking lampshade because uh-huh, it was like on a headband right yeah. so like... <laughs> but then he started dancing it would like fall off lights yeah. were coming and off and i didn't know that the lights were like magnetic so they kind of would fall off out of nowhere <laughs> Um, but he won the costume contest. He did. He did. It was really cute. <laughs> I mean, it was really, like, a testament, uh, to our friends who yeah. showed up and showed yeah. out. Like, we, we had the best time because of all of you guys that showed up for us mm-hmm. and, like... And thank you to the Good Wolf for hosting us, yes, too. Yes, giving us the space and just, like, allowing us to just kind of do our thing. And run amok. Yeah. And some people who, like, weren't aware of the event they even like hung out and watched the movie and it was hilarious because then all of a sudden it became like this hilarious little drinking game of like whenever something like fucked up misogyny would come up everyone would be like drink Drink. yeah we had a great 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 night um hoping to do more of those in the future um Um, but yeah, like kind of, kind of dipping our toes into our film today. Um, I wanted to ask you about the first fairy tale that you were really kind of invested in, like one that either you remember, one that you still think about, one that, like not even a fairy tale, like a fable or like a story or a lesson or, you know, something, something along those lines Mm -hmm. that you kind of connected with. Well... Thinking about this, like, I I can't, like, pinpoint a certain thing, but I kind of always revert back to my childhood, um, and I, I'm a broken record all the time when I'm like, yeah, I'm the youngest of five, <laughs> um, and my fourth oldest sister, the one born before me, she we have, like, a seven, eight-year age gap, and then my oldest sister is 17, 18 years older than me. So me growing up, I kind of had this accidental only childhood. So when I, when jazz was in the world, (laughs) I had to do like a lot of self entertainment. So me running around, I like created my own worlds and I don't have like a specific fable that was told to me, but perhaps maybe I was just really good at making my own fairy tales within my own like existence and being creative and just kind of living the world of yeah. little, little, well, they used to call me spaz, <laughs> which is fine. I'm totally into it. Like, don't feel bad for her. <laughs> it like shaped me who I am, you yeah. know? And like, um, I was very creative and it formulated this bond I have with the outside, which, um, I feel kind of a, like a kismet relationship to our, 
main character of our film today. Mm-hmm. Um, just getting like lost in the woods, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I was just able to like kind of create that world for myself. But yeah. um, what about you? Did you have like a specific thing like that, well, or it's like the more. So, like, with every episode, when we ask each other questions, like, the more it just sort of, like, uh, reaffirms why we're friends. Exactly. Yeah, that too. Yes. Absolutely. Because I just really resonate with everything you were saying, just being, like, a little gremlin who didn't wear shoes and just, like... Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been drawn to, like, the weird and wonderful. hmm And, um... Uh, we had a really cool book of Grimm's fairy tales oh, cool. growing up, um, like a hardcover, beautiful illustrations mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, Those stories are kind of fucked up. Yeah, which could explain so much about <laughs> me. <laughs> but one that I always come back to is the original Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you, like I, I think I had at that point already watched the Disney version, and then would read like the Grimm's version and just be like whoa, this is so much better. Like, what? So dark. So dark. Just the visual of, like, the Little Mermaid preparing to stab her lover, but refusing and then turning into sea foam. Like, something about that just, like, really struck a chord. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, like, I think I've always just kind of been attracted to those kinds of stories. Um... Yeah, no, I've I've loved fairy tales and stories and things like that from a young age. But, um, you know, like, the film today is kind of a conglomeration of all the mythical, the magical, the beautiful and poetic aspects of what makes a good fairy tale, Mm -hmm. but infused with the grotesque and the dark and the disturbing elements of what makes good horror. And Mm -hmm. we can talk, like in more detail about, like, is this even a horror film? Because you were saying, you mentioned to some friends, like, we were going to cover Pan's Labyrinth, and they were like... It took them a second to be like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I guess technically, yeah, like, yeah. right, technically? Yes. Um, you know, and I, I think it, I think it's, like, horror fantasy, for mm-hmm. sure, but I, I definitely would, would put this in the, in the box of a, of a horror film. Yeah, well, it's because, like, Guillermo del Toro lovely person Mm -hmm. you know um he just has a great way of melding the fantastical with the darkness and it's more sometimes metaphorical but because he has this really creative mind of how he creates monsters and they're in a they're in a way where like they're not scary at first Mm -hmm. and they're because he's also a great storyteller, you never know what the intention is around the creatures that he creates in yeah, his world. Yeah. And so I think that's why at first when you think Pan's Labyrinth, you don't think, oh, yeah. this is a horror film. Yeah. Um, it's actually like a really sad movie. It's so sad. But yeah. because of what is happening around in this world and just also the real life horrors that are happening and that the juxtaposition of you know, this imaginary world, I think it's, yeah, it totally is a horror film because, you know, it, we'll we'll get into it too, you know, uh, but I think that's why sometimes maybe coming back to your question is like when we're kids and maybe just with trauma or when things are around us, we're, we can so easily just slip into like a dissociative uh, mindset and like just kind of create a world around us to like protect ourselves from the real world and i think that's kind of what happens in this movie have you read any neil gaiman 
mm-hmm. stuff. No. He's he does that in an, in a great way too. He's a a, a writer. Mm-hmm. Um so, so you know, Guillermo del Toro is also a writer. He's written I think a, a biography about Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um but uh Neil Gaiman one of my favorite books of all time is called The Ocean at the End of the Lane and it's all about a kid who experiences all these like wild and whimsical and magical things but it's 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 all to like distract his brain from like the horrors of what's actually happening mm-hmm. in his like family's interpersonal life with like infidelity and child abuse and things mm-hmm. like that um so it was like a coping coping mechanism yeah. for for that character similarly to um to this film but yeah pan's labyrinth 95 percent on rotten tomatoes i mean that's that should tell you a lot. Like, a lot of people really enjoyed this film. Uh, written directed by Guillermo del Toro, um, who I'm sure we'll cover again in, like, a future episode. Yeah. He's done uh, The Shape of Water, Crimson Peak, Hellboy, Nightmare Alley, just to name a few. Um, but I feel like he's really hit his stride in the last several years. Like, Pan's Labyrinth and The Shape of Water and, like, Crimson Peak all kind of feel, like, in the same, like, he's really, like, figured out his artistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our cast includes Ivana Baccaro as Ophelia, um, Sergi Lopez as Captain Vidal, who's Ophelia's stepfather, Maribel Verdu as Mercedes, and Doug Jones. Oh, uh, love the, Doug Jones. The iconic. Uh, Doug Jones, if you ever, if you are listening... Yeah. Or if you know Doug Jones, or you know how to get in contact. We'd love to have you on the pod. Yeah. Uh, please reach out to <laughs> babesfromthelocklagoon at gmail.com. Again, Doug Jones. Doug Jones, thank you. Doug Jones. Um, Doug Jones, who plays the <laughs> fawn and the pale man, but he and Guillermo are, like, really close collaborators. Yeah. They've been in a lot of, he's been in a lot of his films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the fun facts I found out about uh, Doug Jones in Pan's Labyrinth is that He's, like, obviously such, um, you know, someone who takes his craft really, you know, seriously. And he learned Spanish. Wow. To just have that authenticity. Um, Guillermo dubbed his lines. Because, you know, of course, like, there's some finesse, you know, to the Spanish language. Um, that I guess Doug wasn't really hitting, but he wanted to learn Spanish so he can, like, really be this character. Yeah. And it wasn't just him, like, speaking English, yeah. you know, in a Spanish film. He, right. like, he really wanted to, like, put that effort and, yeah. like, really be as authentic as he could. I saw a video recently of Ben Affleck doing an interview in Spanish because he's fluent in Spanish, yeah. which I didn't know. But he was raised in Mexico, and um, people in the comments were talking about, like, how he goes, like, he'd go from English, and then... To, like, a Boston accent? Yeah, Boston (laughs) accent, but then he'd go into Spanish, and, like, his whole demeanor would change. You know, like, with language, there's so much more than just, like, what comes out of your mouth. Totally. And even just getting the accent right, or, like, the Mm -hmm. you know, the sound of it and stuff, but there's there's colloquial differences Mm -hmm. that, that play out from language. And so, like, yeah, Doug Jones learning Spanish for this role just seems really like he's he's really trying to get into this role and mm-hmm. into this the mindset and like the body of yeah. what this character would be which is cool and he i mean he does that so well in every film that yeah. he's in yeah he for for being a contortionist yeah. to a professional mime yeah. <laughs> he and he's so tall and thin that we were talking like i think that's why probably guillermo like is so drawn to him because he can build 
his creatures around yeah. Doug, and yeah. Doug really like becomes yeah. that thing yeah. that 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 he's supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, he's like the kind of the the icon of this film. I yes. feel like like he's like a nameless guy that everybody knows. Yeah, the most famous man that you never knew that you never knew. Yeah, yeah. so again, Doug, Doug Jones. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Jones, really. Doug Jones. Um, yeah, what's like? Give us our little IMDb synopsis. Cool. Um, in 1944, the post Civil War in Spain, rebels still fight in the mountains against the Phalangist, right? Mm-hmm. Phalangist troops. The young and imaginative Ophelia travels with her pregnant and sick mother, Carmen Vidal, to the country to meet and live with her stepfather, the sadistic and cruel Captain Fidel, in an old mill. During the night. Ophelia meets a fairy, and together they go to a pit in the center of a maze where they're met with a fawn that tells her that she is a princess from a kingdom in the underground. He also tells her that her father is waiting for her, but she needs to accomplish three gruesome, tough, and dangerous assignments first. Meanwhile, she becomes friends with the head servant Mercedes, who is the sister of one of the rebels and is actually secretly giving support to the group. In a dark, harsh, and violent world, Ophelia lives her magical world trying to survive her tasks and see her father and king again. Yeah. Um, and just trigger warning again, um, if you don't know what this movie is about, um, this movie shows a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly people doing violent things. Mostly Captain Vidal doing yeah. violent um, There's suggestion of sexual abuse um, and, uh, yeah, just like, you know, a lot of blood. Yeah. Um, and a really, we don't see it, but there, we will be talking about like kind of a really, uh, traumatic birth that happens. Yeah. And we don't really get context as to like where Ophelia's father is, like Mm -hmm. how he died or anything like that. We just kind of know, um, that it's really Carmen and Ophelia, Carmen, her mother and Ophelia against the world here. Like they're being thrown into this strange world surrounded by tons of men mm-hmm. and in a very dangerous place. Yeah. It sounds like Ophelia's father was important to her. Mm-hmm. And so like this journey to complete these tasks to like be, uh, to re-enter this kingdom and see her father again mm-hmm. seems like an important part of the film. Yeah. And the fact that Captain Vidal is like the worst possible father, alternative father figure for her. Like not even a father. No. Yeah. He, br- doesn't, br- he doesn't even want to be a father. Yeah. No. He's just like a brutal, cruel, inhuman. Piece of shit. Piece of shit. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to add a little bit of context to like the events in the film. Um, so like as Jazz said, it takes place in this period in Spain in the summer of 1944. Um, so this is five years after the Spanish Civil War. So Francois Spain, um, or the Francois dictatorship, was the period of Spain's history between 1939 and 1975. So long period of time. Um, when Francisco Franco ruled Spain after the Spanish Civil War in kind of like a pseudo-fascist dictatorship, um... It was an extremely difficult time in Spain's history. It was like war ravaged. Lots of people were starving. um, And geopolitically, Spain was pretty isolated from the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of from a historical perspective, the film reflects the brutality and authoritarianism of Franco's Spain. And I think Guillermo like really wanted to highlight that in the background of everything Mm -hmm. that's going on. Like um, 
as fantastical and as magical as it, as it is, this like brutal war and ongoing darkness was going on in the background. Um, the regime behind it was very cruel, mm-hmm. very hard on the people, and uh, there were a lot of people trying to resist against it and resist this like fascist <clears throat> rule. <sighs> so, like we said, yeah, not. Um, you know, not, like, the most fun, upbeat film, but, like, there's a lot to unpack in it. Yeah. And that's why, um, I, like, read something that I was like, yeah, that it, this is so true. It's, yes, it's a, this movie is dark and fantastical, and there is this, um, you know, this kind of fairy tale aspect to it. But just to be clear, this is not a children's movie. No. no. Not at all. No. No, it's, it's, it's interesting though, like, do you remember when you first watched it? Like, how, how old you were? What year did this movie come out? Mm. Uh, 2006? If that's true. 2006. I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So, 15? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. That sounds right? Yeah. Maybe 15, 16? Yeah. I think going into it, a lot of people thought it was going to be something that it, that it actually isn't. Mm-hmm, yeah. Totally. I think we were allowed to experience a lot more dark themes mm-hmm. when we were growing up than kids today, which I don't know. I feel like that's maybe like a missed opportunity to um, make weird kids. <laughs> right? Like, I think I, I think it's a cool thing that we like were drawn to mm-hmm. those stories and like watch those stories. Like, again, not to say like, you know, parents should be like exposing their kids to really dark stuff all the time. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, each each parent should kind of know what they're getting into. But like Coraline is mm-hmm. like, it's technically a kid story. It's yeah. patient. And um, it's super dark and scary. Like, yeah. I remember watching it recently and just being like, wow, this is really scary. Yeah, and I, like, totally understand why my sister was like, hey, my kid can't watch this. Yeah. And I totally understand now. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I, to your point of, like, yeah, that's why I think when I have little moments of anxiety, sometimes my comfort is just, like, I need to pause and, like, just watch something. Yeah. And I think I, I think I already told you this, like, I was having, um, like, a few weeks ago, I was having, like, a really bad day, and I was, like, scrolling, and I saw Constantine, and I was like, yes! <laughs> and I put it on, and I'm watching Constantine, and, like, my blood pressure went down, my heartbeat was calmer, mm-hmm. I, like, just kind of got lost in that world, yeah. and, like, oh like Keanu Reeves just like got to look at his face and Rachel Rice is in it too and yeah. she's fantastic in it and yeah. two um, beautiful people yeah we should cover Constantine we sometime. should we should yeah sorry to real, <laughs> but yeah Constantine if you ever need um you know a little bit of therapy yeah you would never know <laughs> um but like I mean so I I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this but my mom was recently diagnosed with cancer mm. and I think when we watched this with our friends, I didn't know that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, there's, like, elements in this with, like, a mother-daughter kind of relationship. And, you know, like, bad things happen to both of them. And, you know, but, like, that that love that they have. Um, and then kind of, like, reading, like, my notes on this again and, like, preparing for this episode. 
it kind of hit me a little bit differently. The mother-daughter dynamics in this film and like what you share with your child, what you don't share with your child, like you want to keep them safe, but you want to be real with them, allow them to have a childhood. All those things were kind of coming up for me in this story. Um, Going through this with my mom and my family and like really just kind of struggling. I, I too was turning to like horror and like, Rewatching clips of this and finding comfort in it, mm-hmm. like from the reality, my reality right now, dealing with like a lot of anxiety and stress and a lot of new emotions that I mm-hmm. haven't really had or felt before. Um, I'm still turning to horror and fantasy and all of you know all of these things that we loved for. Um, reprieve <laughs> from like my reality, uh, you know, which again I think is is cool, and um, I I think this is a great film for me to talk about since learning this new information about my mom and um, you know just kind of processing it. So like I think it's cool that you know as we've said before, but like this is like a tool for us to process the world. Yeah, and um, I think that you know just like seeing it from this new lens has been interesting. Yeah, totally. And thank you for sharing that. Like, I know that it's been like a really, like, I I have no idea what you're going through, but I think it's important to talk about it. And I know sometimes things are just like, you know, you kind of want to keep things to yourself because um, you got to process it. And then when you're ready to talk about it, like, you know, you have your people around you to like help support you in any way we can. And if we can't do anything, just letting you know that like we're here. I'm now realizing that like correlation with this film too, um, with like your experience with your mom and what this mother daughter relationship within the film we're about to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I also think it's interesting. We've had like the last two films that we've done have kind of followed along a lot of mother daughter mother daughter relationship in so many different ways. Yes, and, you know this is another version of that, which you know we can we'll get into. But Ophelia is our main character. She's this young girl, maybe like how old do you think she is? Like ten, eleven? Yeah, something like that. I read something that Guillermo wanted Ophelia to be like much younger, like six, seven, mm-hmm. like around that age. When the actress who plays Ophelia got, you know, she auditioned. And he was so, like, on board with her, but she was older. She wasn't... So he kind of actually rewrote the script a little bit to more reflect her age. And I think think it was, like, 9, 10-ish. And I think that was right for him to do. Yeah. Because I think a six, you know, five, six-year-old would have been a lot more unreliable of a narrator for Mm -hmm. us to watch. And so maybe we wouldn't have bought into the fantastical elements of it mm-hmm. because, you know, somebody who's a little bit older, you know, arguably by her mother's standards, like too old for these fairy tales, yeah. but is still like experiencing, you know, she still has like a little bit of innocence left yeah. in her, I think is, is the core of the film. Totally. And also, um, it's not an excuse, but it gives, Vidal, yeah. um, it gives him some sort of, not like it validates the way he treats Ophelia, but to him, it's like, she's an older kid now. And like, she's in his eyes. He, he doesn't need to take care of her. Yeah. You know, um, even though she's probably at like nine, 10, maybe 11, but for 
I mean, he doesn't want her, but she's old enough in his eyes to where she should be treated like an adult. And she should know better to, yeah. like, not be seen, not be heard, yes. you know, and, like, be a good girl. Yeah. Basically. Um, but, like, we were talking about that moment, I know you wanted to talk about, like, when Ophelia and her mom arrive mm-hmm. on this compound and are introduced to Captain Vidal, who is so such a terrifying figure yeah. right off the bat like he he looks the casting is so good oh my god it, it just like speaks volumes um but like the first thing that happens when they step out of the the car is yeah he like i think he like says he like addresses her but he instantly just grabs her stomach yeah and his huge hand on her cute little tiny little pregnant belly like he has this like possessiveness yeah and there, yeah, he even says, like, you know, later down the line, he says, like, I choose to be here because I want my son to be born in a new, clean Spain. Right. Like, he, there's no love yeah. that he has for her. She's just, just a vessel. Yep. For his son. For his son. Yeah. Yeah. And his, like, uh, legacy. Legacy. Quote, well, exactly. Quote, unquote, legacy. Exactly. Yeah. But, like, I, I, I think that just contextualizes them in this dangerous place like Mm -hmm. a pregnant mom who who's having a difficult pregnancy she's not well like she's like coughing she's like sweaty yeah you know that right off the bat like this she's having a hard time yeah it looks like a really tough pregnancy that she's having right now yeah but like ophelia who's this like ball of innocence and this fragile mother who might not be able to keep her safe and then you have this representation of toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. with vidal is just like the story is forming and concocting right off the bat yeah because um right at the beginning of the film they like pull over because yeah uh carmen has to like throw up or like she needs she needs air and ophelia kind of just like little like wanders off and she sees a stick that turns yeah. into a fairy. Yeah. And that's kind of when you're introduced to, like, what kind of movie we're about to get right, into, too. Right, right, And then she's like, I saw a fairy, I saw a fairy. And they're like, yeah, no, you didn't. Like, get back in the car. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> but the fairy comes back. Yeah. And it, um, it, I, I love that Ophelia recognizes it as a fairy when it's still in its insect form. Yeah. Um, but it eventually transforms into more of, like, what we think of as fairy, sort of, like, humanoid little... Yeah, it's, like, fae-ish. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this little fairy comes back to Ophelia later... Um, at the beginning of this film and is like, come with me. Like, mm-hmm. let me show you something. It's not talking to her, but it's like pulling her and like mm-hmm. enticing her into the forest and yeah. into the, away from the compound. Um, and that's where she, we, we first uh, encounter the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And yeah, cause uh, she's like, it's her new home. She's yeah. like exploring and, yeah. you know, she's holding is this where she's also like holding her fairy tale books yes. and she's walking around yeah. and she's just kind of sizing up the place because it's very um, rigid. Yeah. And nowhere for her to play. Nowhere for her to play. Yeah. There's like soldiers everywhere. Um, you just see that all these uh, supplies and resources are getting put into this barn and it just feels very like. Huh, for somewhere where one person thinks that this is the safest place in the world, it's not giving off that vibe. It's not giving. No. <laughs> it's 
not giving. No, not at all. <laughs> like, small tangent. I think I might have sent you this on TikTok, but it was a guy who was walking past, like, an Old Navy ad, and it was like, he said, when I first read this, I thought it was this way, but it's supposed to be, it's giving season. Yeah. But he's like, it's giving season. <laughs> like, he thought it was like, it's giving, it's giving season. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I love the internet sometimes. I do. <laughs> All right, so what happens next, Jazz? Okay, so, um, yeah, so after, like, Ophelia kind of, like, settles in and we kind of just see that this this place is just really bleak for a kid and it's very serious. Would you rather live here or on the the witch farm? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I just, that just popped into my head. Which one's worse? I think this place feels worse. That's, me too. I think I would rather go to the... He, Captain Videl is just... He's so much more sinister. Yeah. Yeah. And he he is terrifying. Yeah. And, I mean, if it was just... If he wasn't there, I think, yeah, that'd be fun. You know, Cute like... little forest. Yeah, there's, like, all these, like, little <laughs> secret passageways and yeah. all these, like, little things, but... Um, in the context of the film. I think no. I... I feel like I'd feel way more safer out in those gas woods <laughs> <laughs> which is saying something yeah totally yeah um anyway so yeah uh you know some time goes by into the film and uh this is when we first encounter doug jones's character who plays doug jones. Doug jones. Doug jones. <laughs> you can never just say doug no uh it's Doug Jones. It's Doug Jones. Or Doug Jones. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, inside the labyrinth, Ophelia meets this mysterious fawn, um, and who reveals that she is this long lost princess from this mythical, magical kingdom. Yeah. And that, he calls her Princess Moana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and to... Uh, and he says that, like, he's trying, like, you kind of don't trust the fawn. Yeah. He's kind, yeah, he's got this, like, really, um. Twitchy. Twitchy and just, like, unsettling. He's scary looking. He is. <laughs> Doug Jones. Doug Jones. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, like, yeah, tw- twitchy. Like, mm-hmm. he's, like, he kind of looks drunk and he's kind of, like, always swaying around. Yeah. And, um. And he's huge. He, oh, like, he's so big. And fun fact, like, everyone, uh, not everybody, but, like, there was this weird little controversy thinking that the, the fawn and his, like, bent legs, that that was CGI, but it's not. It's Doug, it's Doug fucking Jones, Doug fucking Jones. on stilts, and... Um, they, he has, like, some, the CGI, like, little green, uh, like, socks, Mm -hmm. just to kind of, uh, you know, put the little details on, Mm -hmm. I, I believe, but, um, that's Doug Jones, like, in his fawn getup on stilts, and he added that little, like, kind of uneasiness movement, um, it's just so cool, um, and, uh, yeah, so the fawn tells Ophelia that, in order to return to her kingdom and to see her father, who is the king of this kingdom, she has to do these series of tasks, which are very deeply symbolic. Um, a shit ton of danger. Like, yeah. no kid should really be doing no. this. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, to for- and this is, like, where the backbone of the narrative of this, like, fantastical film we're about to watch yeah. kind of starts to unfold. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, so like the first task that she's given is, and and so she gets a book too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's nothing in it, and she no. kind of has to like ask it to like reveal itself a yeah. little bit. Yeah, so it's like you get one task done, you get the next task. Yeah, you know, so it's like you have to complete one in order to like move forward. Yeah, and she's up against yeah this like uh, deadline, deadline <laughs> of the full moon. And not only is there this deadline, but there's um like back on the you know, in the real world, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, there's like this dinner that's going to happen. And so her mom is also just trying to be like, this is what I had a little bit of a hard time. Again, I've never been in this situation where I've ever had a step parent. Mm -hmm. Um, But her mother, Carmen, like we understand she's just trying her best and she is just trying to like solidify a future for her kid. So she's just like trying to give her these little tips of like, hey, like for us to do well and survive, like, we gotta do this. So she's like, your father. Yeah. She's like already referring to uh, Videla as her father. Yeah. And and I, she like, I think she tr- tries to be like, it's just a word. Like, yeah. it's just fault. It's just yeah. a word. It's no big deal. Yeah, he'll like it. Yeah. When it's like, I, I don't think he does. Yeah. He doesn't want to be her father. No. We've already talked about that. No. But he supposedly buys her this really beautiful green dress. Mm-hmm. And her mom wants her to wear it to like show the captain that like, oh, we appreciate what you're doing. And like, we're here, we're showing our face at this like dinner that we're going to have that night. Right. But the task. Yeah. The task is, has to be done that night. Has to be done. And the task is to go into this like hollow, this tree hollow and retrieve a key Mm -hmm. from the mouth of this huge toad that's living in there. And it's dank it's dark. It's, it's like muddy. little little buggies yeah, walking around, crawling all over her, and she yeah. just she like flips them, flicks them off. She's so brave. Yeah. But before she goes in, she like hangs her new pretty dress like on like a she's tree. yeah she like steps in the mud and she has the forethought to be like oh I don't want to get my dress dirty yeah. like this is really important for me to have right. so I'm gonna put it on this branch of this really stoic fig tree yeah and I whenever when we watched it recently. I, like, didn't realize its shape. Mm. Um, Like, it it just didn't really really stand out to me when Mm -hmm. I first saw it. But um, to me, I'm like, oh, it's kind of... I don't know if it's supposed to be shaped like like horns, like the fawn. Or is it supposed to represent, like, um, like a vagina? Oh. A womb. A womb. Yeah. Yeah. I can see both. I mean, and I think there's, like... Probably, like, so many of those little symbols oh. that he threw in there that yeah. we, like, have yet to even understand yeah. or decode. Guillermo is a symbol king. He, he's, he's, oh, he's so, <laughs> uh, but, like, I think the symbolism of her mother giving her this pretty dress to, like, conform to mm-hmm. this rigid, horrible person um, that is, quote-unquote, keeping them safe. And then Ophelia kind of rebelling in order to complete this task. Like, she, she is, like, filthy at the end of it like she and she realizes like oh fuck yeah my dress got so dirty and it's dark by the time she gets out too so we know that she's gonna be in trouble by the time that this is over her dress i think flies off Mm -hmm. in the wind so she goes home in her under clothing yeah um covered in mud yeah what do you think like the toad was all about like what it like i know i i want to know Maybe there is no underlining meaning behind the toad. Yeah. But do, do you have any, like, f- thoughts about what that was supposed to represent? Yeah, I mean, toads are very prevalent in a lot of fairy tale mm-hmm. stories. 
I think they kind of represent like the the dark, dank underbelly of you know, kind of the fantasy world. Mm-hmm. It's and it's supposed to be maybe. I think in this context, I disagree because I love frogs and toads, and they're like the, uh, my yes, favorite thing ever. Um, but <laughs> they're supposed to be this kind of like gross, disgusting, bottom dwelling little creature mm-hmm. like that. Um, I don't think is necessarily like a bad omen or represents something in along those lines, but it's definitely lives in a place where you don't go, like yeah. lives in a dark forest, lives under a tree hollow, lives in the mud, eats the bugs, like, yeah. or it can be, you know, sometimes it's like frog and toad and they're like little petticoats and they're like eating like waffles Us and stuff. in, a, in right. an alternative universe. Yeah. You and me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> are you frog or are you toad? I'm both. I can't uh. decide. I'm, 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 I'm bi for both. Yeah. <laughs> I love that for you. What do you think? Do you mean, do you think it means anything? I don't know. I think I want it to mean something, yeah. but I'm just, I like, yeah. And that's the thing. Um, like sometimes I try to do like deep dives on films, mm-hmm. but I don't know. But, like, I remember she says something like, aren't you ashamed of living down here and eating bugs? Like, Mm -hmm. she kind of is critical of it. Because he just, he's, like, eating bugs and he's, like, engorged on... Yeah, he, like, well, it looks like he's been there for a really long time. Yeah. Because this is a huge toad. Yeah. And he, like, takes up all the space. The whole whole All the space. (laughs) (laughs) It's, like... Good for you, girl. Yeah. Like, live right. in your truth. But I think it's, but... like, this gluttonous kind of figure mm, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. like, hiding in the shadows and doesn't want to be seen. And, um, what? Could that be... I mean, I'm just pulling this out of my ass, but it was more so, like, the captain's hiding. Yeah. And he's gluttonous in his own he ways. Because yeah. he, he wants a lot of things. Yeah. And he had... He, like... He's taking all those, uh, the rest, like all the, food. the supplies, mm-hmm. and he ha- wants a lot of control over mm-hmm. them. He does give it to like the people around in the villages, but like yeah. it's under lock and key, yeah. and he he wants things to be done a certain way. Like he like his like me time is him like really intensely like shaving his face with and a straight razor. Yeah, oh god, so scary. <laughs> um, which I'm sure like. It would give you the closest shave ever. Yeah. Buttery but, smooth. Yeah. And but at he, what cost? No. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember the first time you ever shaved your legs? I do. And I remember there was an incident where I was like shaving them too quickly and I still have the scar. It's like <gasps> oh, I know. Oh, five I inches feel long. It. I already feel. Yeah. Yeah. I shaved off a whole Is... chunk of skin. Oh my God. It yeah. like sloughed off and I remember it bleeding all, it was like hairy level blood. Was it like just like a fucking Bic razor? Like two, two yeah, razor? Dude. One yeah. razor? Yeah. razor? Fucking one of those. My like, God. Venus. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I remember going to the doctor and the doctor, my mom told me this later when I was much older, but she, the doctor was like, um, maybe keep an eye on this girl because she might be like self-harming or something is what yeah and I was just like being like a dumb kid who didn't know how to use a razor to shave my legs but the doctor thought I was hurting myself whoa yeah (laughs) do you do you remember what sorry I'm just like taking that in yeah (laughs) because I had older sisters 
I I would just find their razor like because we had communal bathrooms, you know. Like I would just find their razors in my shower, and yeah. I, and I think I from fucking like like TV advertisements, I knew what they were for, and I think I like shaved my legs, not really knowing again knowing what to do, and I totally just like clipped my heel. Ooh, and I was and I freaked out because like yeah, not only well because I was bleeding, but I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna get so much trouble. Yeah. And I don't think I did, yeah. but my mom was like, I think she approached it like, you're too young to do this. Please don't do this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you don't need to do this. Yeah. And I think I was, yeah, maybe like 10 or yeah. 11 or 12. But like my realization of body hair didn't happen until I think I went into like middle school. Yeah. That sounds about right yeah. for that time period. Which I think is interesting because he keeps himself so clean, like, clean yeah, and very meticulous, yeah. And like we were saying, like, but what? But at what cost? But like, yeah. seriously, like you run the risk of like serious harm with those like straight razors. And the fact that he, the way that he organizes things in his mind is, is so things have to be perfect. Yeah, things he has to be this like perfect masculine man. You know, so like I can only imagine like what he would think about my armpit hair, or my leg hair. You know what I mean? Like he's just not that type of guy. But, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> or what he would think about uh, you know like us wanting to be equals with our partners. Oh, you know, and would... then our partners treating us like equals. <laughs> This is not that type of man. No, he would like blow a gasket. Oh yeah, he totally. Would fully not. Yeah. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, after Ophelia um, completes her tasks, uh, she or the first task, um, even though she's like sent up to her room without dinner because she has like totally disappointed her mom and her mom's embarrassed and like the captain doesn't really even like look like he cares he doesn't care that she's there he probably likes that she's not there to be honest um Ophelia's like taking a bath and at some point the fawn like comes out from I think he like comes out from like the shadows Mm -hmm. of her room somewhere and he's he like congratulates her Mm -hmm. for uh uh completing the first task Mm -hmm. because I forget what he what does she get does she, she get something from the frog because the frog like totally like deflates and yeah, he I spits thought it was a out. key. A key, yes, yes, yes. So, but then he gives her a piece of chalk. Yes, right. And this is where he gives her the mandrake root that yes. this will be like because he she kind of consoles in him that like she's worried about her mom right. and her health and right. doesn't know what to do and he gives her this like mandrake baby, which I'm trying to. F- the the Harry Potter books must have come out before this. But I also wanted to be more like I think Mandrake Rue was also kind of always like this very um yeah, it's, mythical it's an old time theme. Yes. Because they look like kind of humanoid like yeah. babies. Yeah, kind they of, do. With the shape of yeah. them. Their little roots little and chunky legs. Boys. They, do. <laughs> they look like chunky little babies. <laughs> and so I think like historically that was something that was often used to kind of like in medicinal herbalism. Yes, and totally. Like that, yeah. yeah, so the fawn gives her this mandrake and he tells her that he needs to put it in a bowl of milk mm-hmm. and put it underneath her mother's bed. And basically feed it blood every yes, once in a while. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Feed me, Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> me. 
<laughs> um, but Little Shop Forest would be fun to cover. It would be so fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's a goofy one. Yeah. We maybe kind of be like a bonus episode or something. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, but, but yeah, so she, she puts the mandrake baby underneath uh, the bed and, yeah. um, and, you know, you're kind of just like, okay, that was when the fawn, his character for me was like, oh, he's, he's, he's a friend. Yeah. He's really trying to help. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that, like, disarms us a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because he still looks like he does. But even so, I think it's interesting because, like, you are so freaked out by him at first. Mm-hmm. And then, like, as time progresses, he becomes, like, a little like a little bit of a buddy. Yeah. He's not as scary, even though he looks exactly the same as he did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. I, I think that's kind of cool that we, we can change our perspective on something, yeah. like, as... Even something like as like weird and kind of grotesque mm-hmm. as he looks, totally, can be, we can see him as as a friend. Yes, but so when we get to the second task. Yes, second the, task. The second task. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got her first little fairy, right? Mm-hmm. But the fawn gives her two other guides to help her through the next. Yeah, task. they like guide. They're supposed to guide her. Yeah, and so she is instructed to draw. Um, a doorway mm-hmm. with a chalk. And it's also interesting that like Ophelia and her mom share a room at this point. So mm-hmm. even even the fawn coming into the bedroom and like all this stuff that's happening, the mom is like completely unaware of anything that's yeah. going on. And even Ophelia like drawing this chalk and exiting into a different realm with mm-hmm. the chalk. But um, she is tasked with retrieving a dagger from the lair of the pale man who's a child-eating monster. It's a lot. It's very Goya. Yes, yes. The whole the whole thing is, like, very... It's so grotesque. But it's it, like a painting. It is. Yeah. It's very... Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah. And she walks into this room with this... Banquet. Well, banquet of, like, delicacies. Yeah. And that's the thing that the fawn tells her was, like... Get in, get out, yeah. do not eat anything yeah. off that table. Like, yeah. it's, like, so clear. Yeah. And so she gets in there, she finds the dagger, and she's walking away. But we see the pale man, and he just has his hands on the table. He doesn't have eyes. No, he's just sitting there. He's just sitting there. She she can get real close to him. She even, like, kind of, like, like gets real yeah, close to him, and he doesn't move. Him. He doesn't move. Yeah. Um. And, yeah, so she is walking back. She's retrieved her her goal she's but then her little tummy rumbles because she's she hungry she didn't get dinner yeah <laughs> and she like turns around and she's eyeing the food and the fairies are like hell no yeah. like let's get out of here like you what are you no no yeah. no and, and she like, like pushing sh- her yeah and she like shoes them away mm-hmm. and she grabs a fucking grape but they did look very delicious no i understand and that's the thing too like We can't blame her. She's just a child. And, you know, I'm always like, girl, if you are hungry, get a snack. (laughs) No shame here. No, get a snack. Uh, You know, fuel that fire. But it's also like there there are now consequences because we she doesn't see what is happening. And I think she even like goes and grabs another grape. But as soon as she grabbed that first grape... The pale man, like, wakes up and he, like, grabs his eyeballs and sticks them back into his palm and he, like, does this, like, thing where he puts his hands over his eyes. Jazz is mimicking the pale man right now. And (laughs) 
And then that's how he sees. And he's so saggy and so grotesque. Wait, and he, can you do that again? And he's just like... <laughs> and he realize, he sees that there's a child. Yeah. And he's pumped. Yeah. He's like, ooh, yum, yum, yum. Dinner. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um... And yeah, he's he's just so 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 gross, and and it's sad because he like grab like Ophelia under, sees what's happening, and she's like the Viries are trying to distract the pale man, and he like grabs one of them and just fucking rips their heads. Oh, off. Oh, it's so gross, and you're just like, oh shit! Yeah. Like this got really real, yeah. really fast, and. He eats like a doesn't he eat another one? Yeah, he eats two of them. Yeah, and you're just like, and I'm and there was a moment I was so angry at Ophelia because yeah. like these these little guys they were told just, you they told you no yeah. don't do this yeah. they were helping you along and look like they got eaten yeah. because of you and yeah. and I got mad but I'm just like then I had that re- realization like she's, she's just a kid. kid yeah yeah and I also think like too I mean we talked earlier about like Videl stockpiling all of these resources mm-hmm. and controlling them with lock and key mm-hmm. that only he and Mercedes have access to yes. right so like thinking about the difference from now and that sort of time period where like everything is under lock and key and controlled so mm-hmm. like if you were peckish wanted a snack or something like good fucking luck yeah totally. you know so like i think having this contrast of all this opulence at her disposal and the ability to just kind of like grab food mm-hmm. during this time of a lot of people are starving um, resources are low, food is not f- fully available to everybody, and, like, this kid who's hungry just wanting to, like, just just have a little snack. Yeah. I think is interesting because we think of that, like, oh, yeah, I'll just go get a snack. But, like, you couldn't. She couldn't mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, sorry, I was pulling up this little quote from Guillermo because there are so many so many things why people think the pale man is who he is Mm -hmm. and what he represents. And I found a quote from an interview from Guillermo and he said, the pale man represents the church for me Mm -hmm. Um, because he grew up Catholic, but Mm -hmm. he's, um, what would would it be? The next Catholic. Uh, And he said, uh, yeah, the, the pale man represents the church for me. You know, he represents fascism, the church eating the children when they have a perseverely abundant banquet in front of them, there is almost a hunger to eat innocence, mm. um, a hunger to <clears throat> eat purity. Um, and yeah, he, he kind of talked about like, he has a lot of issues with the church. Um, but rather than like simply bashing them, um, he does it in this like really subtle and provocative way. Yeah. And yeah, totally. You know, like when we think of not all religions, but like, when we think of churches in that establishment, yeah, I'm I'm gonna think more of like churches in the United States, yeah, because um, they're not taxed, nope. and they they do have this very lavish uh, veil upon them, and when there's so much poverty and sexual abuse, oh yeah, but they're not doing shit about it, yeah, and again, not I'm not coming for. Yeah. I'm not coming f- to anyone, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, say like all religious affiliations are like this, but, um, we, we have seen a lot of things come to light about, 
you know, the Catholic Church and how, yeah, there's so much uh, abuse happening, but no one's doing shit about it. Yeah. And um, I think this was a really clever way to represent yeah. this because, yeah. you know, you don't know it's harmful until it comes to get right. you. And it's like veiled in this pageantry, right? Mm-hmm. There's like so much... And like churches, I lo- I really enjoy going to like old churches. They're, They're beautiful. beautiful, and like yeah. the the music, and I understand why people can really get wrapped up in all of that. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, under that is that that toad, that underbelly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and the the pale man ready mm-hmm. to come consume you. Yeah. So um, after Ophelia just sees like yeah, these two fairies just totally get mutilated. Uh, she realizes the danger that she has created for herself, and she runs and she tries to get to the door because it's closing. And um, I think it does close. Yeah. And she like stumbles, her chalk breaks, and she like tries to she she uh, draws another door, but in the ceiling, mm-hmm. and the pale man's just like wobbling mm-hmm. and trying to get her and. She finally gets into the door, and I think, I'm, like, trying to remember, does the door that she makes from the ceiling, like, come down and smash on the pale man? Is that how she escapes? No, he, like, grabs her leg. That's right. Okay. he grabs her leg. That's right. I don't know where I, like, pulled that out of. Too many movies, man. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But she gets out. And, like, the fawn is, like, pissed at her. Yeah. Because he told her, he, he literally was like, you had one rule. Yeah. You had one rule, and it doesn't matter that you completed your task. And you killed two of my homies. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to get fairies around here? <laughs> I had to interview them in every Ophelia. <laughs> Do you understand the vetting that I had to go through to get three fairies? Yeah, you're making my job real hard, girl. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Ophelia is just trying to like... You know, she she's like trying to explain what happened and he's just not hearing it and he's just like so frustrated with her like one little act of disobedience that he's seen of her and he refuses to give her the third task yeah. and he's just like, You're not taking this seriously. So we're we're not moving on. Bye. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean there's kind of like the in in the fawn's like disappearance and refusal, like she's kind of like excommunicated for a while from mm-hmm. like the fairy realm, right? So she's now kind of forced to face her quote unquote reality yeah. of her circumstances. Her mom is slowly getting better because of the mandrake mm-hmm. root and the milk under the bed. Yeah. Um, very clearly it's helping. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also aware that like there's a lot going on um with the rebels and Vidal and um, there's this horrible scene where Vidal captures these two guys. They're like local. They're just they just they're just hunting. Yeah, local farmers that he accuses of being rebels, spies. Yeah, well, I think it's his his like um, henchmen or like his his people around him. Like he's created this uh, world of suspicion. Yeah, and um, so they like capture them, yeah. and even he's kind of like, well. He's, like, kind of, yeah. like, interviewing them in a, in a way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he, because he doesn't want to seem, like, stupid in front of his people. He just shoots them. Oh, well, no, and then he, like, okay, trigger warning. He then, uh, like, also just 
bashes the other yeah. one in the head with a glass mm-hmm. bottle that does not break. Mm-hmm. And it's so grotesque. Yeah. And, like, again, I don't know why I didn't, like, look away. And um, another fun fact, uh, this is something that came from Guillermo's real life. Mm. He witnessed, uh, he when he was in, uh, when he, in his youth in Spain, he and his friend got into a fight, and they were, like, overthrown and he witnessed his friend right next to him get his head bashed in with a bottle and the fact that it never broke Mm -hmm. like really stuck with him Mm -hmm. and of course like how do you unsee something like that you don't yeah and so that's why it's so like when i learned about that it's like yeah that's why that scene it just pulls you in and even though this is disgusting yeah you just cannot look away yeah I think he, after killing these two farmers, like, so brutally, he looks through their belongings and he finds two rabbits. Yeah. Um, you know, that they were literally doing what they just said that they were doing. They were just farmers, like, out hunting. Mm-hmm. And he basically, to his, like, cronies, he's like... Do better. Yeah. Like, don't don't fucking call me yeah. for dumb shit or yeah. I'm gonna do... Sh- this next yeah. you know or to you yeah. next basically yeah. like yeah it, he's so it's he doesn't let this be an opportunity for him to be like for his like subordinates to be like questioning him at all he just uses it as a lesson mm-hmm. in violence mm-hmm. uh and i just think that to his core he is an evil evil man yeah um and he he's got another captive like in the barn tied up um, and he asks the doctor who's been tending to his, like, wife mm-hmm. during the pregnancy, and he asks him to tend to the captive. Um, but... And we kind of know that the doctor is, like, a double agent. In yeah. A way, he's had interactions oh, with Mercedes. we haven't even talked Mercedes. about... Oh, my gosh. I know. We There's, haven't even talked about Mercedes yet. There's so much this movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Backtrack. Backtracking. Mercedes is kind of, like, uh, she's kind of, like, oh, overseas the house um i don't i don't know what her what her job title would yeah. be because she has some authority to the um the way that the household works but she is obviously very afraid of adele and yeah you kind of have the sense that some i i wonder if something transpired between them to make her so afraid of him. Yeah, they kind of suggest that later on in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And but she's been squirreling away like little things like knives yeah, in her petticoat yes. and stuff. Yeah, and, and she has like a little secret uh like hidey hole that she puts letters in yeah, that uh yeah. there's some sort of like a secret communication happening. Yeah. Between um, her and the rebels. Yes, because her brother is she yeah. I mean, she is part of the the, the rebellion. Yeah. And um but she's uh trying her best to just, like, trying to, like, be low profile. Yeah. Yes, sir. You yeah. know, all all this stuff. And um, at some point, you know that her and the doctor are, like, these, you know, they're they're fighting the same cause, yeah. and, but under, like, the veil of, yeah. like, working with the enemy. Right. Thank you for, we needed that part. <laughs> we just fully, like, left that out. Um, but Ferrero, the doctor, he feels so bad for this rebel who's just been well, like... Well, I think he knows him. Yeah. And he, he knows like, what's about to happen. Been beaten to a pulp and, like, just 
yeah, he he wants to like save him from the level of Vidal, like the suffering that he would be subject to. So he kills him. Like mm-hmm. he he like utilizes yeah, him, euthanizes him, and um. Then later we ca- we do end up coming back to the doctor and Vidal, but um, Vidal catches Ophelia tending to the mandrake root because she has to keep feeding. She, it yeah, she was hiding blood. under yeah, and she was hiding underneath the bed. Yeah. And so he sees that, pulls her out from under the bed. Carmen freaks out because she's like, bro, what are you doing? Like, yeah, he, what is this? What is this? Yeah. And I think they both view it as some kind of like, well, especially Vidal, some kind of like witchcraft. Yeah. And, is, and her mom probably views it as like, my kid's just being silly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, and because like, he like smells it and smells yeah. both because like, it's taking on mm-hmm. whatever is going on with Carmen. Mm-hmm. And of course it's going to smell disgusting mm-hmm. and putrid mm-hmm. and it's, it's like shriveled, mm-hmm. you know, and because it's, it's been pulling whatever is happening with Carmen into mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. And that's why it looks disgusting mm-hmm. and gross and like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know? And it's just like sitting in like lukewarm <laughs> spoiled milk with blood in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that wouldn't be, like, the best sight. But Carmen herself throws it into the fire. Yeah. And she, like, reprimands Ophelia. Like, she says, quote, You're getting older. Older, You'll see that life isn't like your fairy tales. The world is a cruel place. And you'll learn that even if it hurts. Magic does not exist. Not for you, me, or anyone else. Ugh. Yeah. And I think that's when Ophelia kind of realizes like oh you're not just my mom yeah like yeah like you gotta you have a role Mm -hmm. in all this too Mm -hmm. and like you like for self-preservation you were just trying to like yeah get by yeah and what a what a in a sense like a, a a slap to the face of like stop being a kid yeah like Grow up. Yeah. Yeah. It's time. Yes. We're done with this. We're done. But I think this is such an interesting point because it's really, like, up to this point, the only sort of, like, real world influence that the sort of fairy realm has had on, like, her reality. Because mm-hmm. her mom actually was getting better. Yeah. From this And the thing doctor was the like, I don't know what's going yeah. on, but she, like, took a turn. Yeah. Which makes me, like, this is, like, the first sort of evidence that, like... This isn't just all in Ophelia's head. Yeah. There's something bigger going on under the surface that, mm-hmm. like, only she can see, but it's actualizing in the real world. And her mom, Carmen, just, like, takes a turn for the worse. And you, you, the viewer, can tell, like, this isn't going to end well for her. Oh, not at all. Because it's instant. Yeah. Like, when, as soon as she puts that man... Yeah. And it's, like, so sad. You I hear, know. like, squealing, and it's, like, burning. Yeah. And as soon as that happens, like, as soon as the mandrake is, like, dead, all the symptoms that Carmen is feeling yeah. comes back, like, tenfold. Yeah. And then... She starts to bleed. Yeah. It's... Oh, it's so much. Yeah. And that's when Fidel has the, the moment with the doctor, and it's like, hey, if you gotta choose, you're choosing my son. Yeah. And Ophelia overhears this because she kind of gets shooed out Mm -hmm. uh, because either they don't want her to see what's happening or like they just they just don't want her to be around. But she's like in the hallway and like 
Vidal doesn't even like hide yeah. it from her. Yeah. He doesn't even like he doesn't even look at she's her. She's just an insect. To yeah, him. she knows that he yeah. that she knows that she's there, but like she literally just heard him say like choose the kid. Yeah. Like I don't like yeah. if you had a choice, yeah. like do everything you can to, to save my son. Right. And isn't that the world we're living in right now? <sighs> with like all the stories coming out of these places in the south with doctors who are leaving in huge exodus from these clinics. Women uh, are losing doctors and nurses and health care workers left and right because doctors don't want to perform any kind of health care on these women for fear of prosecution, mm-hmm. something bad happening to them. And so, like, we're left with all of these women in these states that are subject to this kind of horrible, like, these horrible abortion laws that are just... They have no control over their bodies. Yeah, and if whatsoever. you go to a different state and yeah. someone gets word of this, like you yeah. could be prosecuted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sorry, I charged don't mean I'm not laughing because murder. it's funny. Charged it's just like murder. it baffles me. Yeah. The, it baffles me that like I mean, th- these people have always existed, right? Like mm-hmm. having this sort of like righteous view of saving the baby at all costs, right? Like do like but then what about the fucking mother? It's her yeah. body. It's yeah. like the 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 this vessel like Vidal just being like, "Oh yeah, fuck her. I want my son. Do whatever mm-hmm. it takes." Yeah. Is just to me like so clarifying in this moment um that we're up against in our real world day to day. But like it really isn't about the mother or life or even like the life of these babies that they want to save after they're born. They don't give a fuck. They just want to control us. Yeah. And it's stupid because they're like, well, like there's, there's tons of parents out there who would love that baby. Right. right. And it's like, do you fucking understand like how some of the foster systems Mm -hmm. are operated Mm -hmm. and how some of those kids are there until they're 18 and then they get booted out and they don't have any resources of how to like navigate the world or like people who do take in foster kids, but it's like, it's like a scam sometimes. Like they're just collecting that check. They don't really, and I understand this is not all foster parents. Right. I'm, I want to make that very, the system is not great. And it's a little broken. And to have that, like, solution (laughs) i'm just yeah again the yeah like fucking people who are like well like you know people there are so many people do you understand how hard the adoption process is it's like yeah and there are so many people who yeah even you know either they choose to not have a kid of their own because they understand there's so many kids out there who actually need parents or some sort of guardianship or there's people who um physically cannot have children but the adoption process is so difficult and yeah to have that just ignorant view of Mm -hmm. like oh well they could be adopted it's like well are you gonna adopt them right no oh okay then shut up but even even (laughs) people that want to be mothers and want to it's the united states is the most dangerous place to have a child in the quote-unquote developed world right now Mm. it is so dangerous for mothers and for the baby because of the lack of health care in some of these places. And also even with the best health care, like there's just so many like women of color, especially black women, like the rate of infant and mother mortality in this country is sky high. And the medical expenses are fucking yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Like if you don't have 
medical care that covers birth, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Try thousands of dollars. Tens of thousands of dollars. Debt. Yeah. For, for, you know, being in the hospital yeah. for three days, having a kid, yeah. and you're left with 30000 dollars of medical bills that you now have to cover. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> but the baby's born. And um, I thought his representation was interesting because he's like, obviously this innocent baby, like he hasn't done anything, mm -hmm. but he's a product of Vidal who's awful and terrible. And we could even argue like, could probably be a product of rape. Like mm. Carmen probably didn't want to have sex with him. Like he isn't this loving husband partner, right? He's yeah. just like, it, like she's a commodity to him mm -hmm. and she's stuck in this world that she's had to survive in. Mm -hmm. So like this baby being like a representation of like the good and the evil is really interesting to me. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Carmen as a character um, is quite heartbreaking because there's a part of you that's just like you kind of hate that she's created this situation for herself, her kid, and like her now like recently born child. Mm -hmm. But also, it's like that was that was like her one card that she probably had, and she probably yeah. just like again she is uh, you know a single parent yeah. who just lost her uh, partner yeah. and who knows uh you know she she probably had to do it out of survival to like kind of glom onto yeah. this person she tells ophelia like you'll understand when yeah. you're older like yeah. you, you don't get it now but i have had to make these choices for us yeah for reasons that you are you do not understand but you will one day yeah and again like <clears throat> oh just the sacrifices <laughs> of, of motherhood my gosh yeah, yeah. And, yeah, again, when I first watched this movie, I, like, didn't really care for her character, but now I'm just like, wow. She's an empathetic character, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you really put yourself in her shoes. Like, what the fuck are you supposed to do? Yeah. And, and under this patriarchy. Well, and just the, the fascism yeah. that's happening around, yeah. you know, the dictatorship. Yeah. You don't, like, in her position, she doesn't have a lot of options. And we don't know her story or we her don't. background. Yeah. Like, I mean, he could have chosen her, and this could have saved them from death yeah. or poverty. Or, yeah. we, like, we really don't know. But we do know she really loves Ophelia. Yeah. And she... And even this, like, like you said, this, like, product of this child that has this duality to mm -hmm. it, you know, she, she probably also maybe knew that... I don't know. I'm also just like reading into this, but maybe after the baby was born and if they were both in the world, like maybe her life still wouldn't be better. Yeah. Like, I don't think Fidel would be more loving towards her. No. She would still just be like, you are now here to keep my child alive. Right. And that's, that's just, she would have been role. stuck and she would have been creating a second version of the father probably. Yeah. Like, not of her own volition, but yeah. just because of who he is. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, Mercedes even mentions that later in the film. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, Ophelia and Mercedes have had, especially after the mom dies, Ophelia really leans on Mercedes as sort of like a surrogate mother mm -hmm. figure. Yeah. Um, and they kind of this, like, uh, kingship king because they're in a world that they don't want to be in. Right. And, right. They're sa and they recognize each other's savviness. And yeah. they recognize that... 
uh, they're like individual thinkers and that they, they, uh, like, uh, Ophelia sees Mercedes, you know, hide away something. And so they have this acknowledgement of like, you don't tell, I won't tell. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, in this really controlled world that they're underneath, uh, they, they're showing a lot of signs of disobedience and they have that for each other. Like they, they recognize that in one, in one another. And, Ophelia, like, really takes to Mercedes really quickly because of that. Yeah. Um, Mercedes has been discovered to be a spy. Um, And I think earlier, also, the doctor was found to be a spy Mm -hmm. because of the medicine that he had in his his bag was Mm -hmm. the same that, like, they found on a rebel. Well, I think he also, Videla, like, confronts him, like, why'd you save that captive? Yeah. It's a weird word, but, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, why'd you save him? And, you know, it's just kind of found out. Yeah. Like, he he kind of realizes what's going on. Yeah. And the doctor kind of was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, yeah. and he's, like, the only doctor, like, in the area. Right. And he would rather, like, walk away than be underneath Fidel's thumb. Yeah. And, I mean, his death is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, Mercedes has, has been discovered, and she tries to escape with Ophelia. Um, but they're caught, and Ophelia is locked in her room. Uh, Mercedes is taken to be interrogated and tortured. Um, but Mercedes frees herself with one of those knives that she squirreled away mm-hmm. in her in her dress. And she stabs Videl non-lethally. Um, she gives him um, what is <laughs> a that smile. called? Uh, a, a Glasgow smile. Oh yes, that's like, right. But it's only like on one, one side. side. Yeah. yeah, but it's fucking oh, oh dude, it's it's a lot. awful. Yeah, they have a really interesting uh, like dialogue yeah. between them because he kind of realizes because he's because he is who he is. He's just like Ugh, I like. You I liked you. Me. I thought I thought but you we were tricked cool. me. Yeah. Like, oh, I never saw that coming. And yeah. she's like, yeah, because I'm a woman. Yeah. You like, um, you underestimated me, yeah. and I was invisible to yeah. you. Like, she has some kind of line that's like that. Yeah. And he's like, well, I see you now. Yeah. And he like tries. He but he still doesn't take her seriously. Yeah. He still just thinks like, you're a woman. Yeah. I can overpower you. Right. And then she like gets the best of him. Right. And it's like really poetic and i think it was that scene (laughs) (laughs) it was that scene where it was like that suggested sort of like sexual abuse yeah between vidal and mercedes where like they're really it's like they really dance around and they're not explicit but you can assume that they've had encounters in his room Mm -hmm. before like against her will of course yeah but um, he's like, oh, we're gonna do this again, okay? yeah. and, you know, like as either punishment yeah. or control. Yeah, or- and and she does make a mistake. You know how he finds out about her is because the the barn got unlocked. Yeah, and there was only supposed to be one key that he had, mm-hmm. but Mercedes had a copy, mm-hmm. and she gave it to her brother mm-hmm. to steal the the weaponry mm-hmm. that was in the barn and mm-hmm. maybe some medical supplies, maybe some food. Yeah, and yeah, I mean that's like that was her one mistake was to because he knew instantly. Yeah, and because the lock wasn't broken, mm-hmm. it was just like click mm-hmm. unlocked, you know, and so that's how she got found out. Yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah, so Mercedes escapes, 
and um, she like runs into the woods to the rebellion and there's this whole like dramatic scene because like his cronies go after her but then the rebellion's overthrown them and she Mercedes is kind of saved by her brother mm-hmm. and like you know his people and uh we yeah, c- Vidal's like running around with like half half his face cut up and yeah he's like he's like super unwell and yeah like, yeah he's he's going going through it a little bit yeah but then Ophelia gets out of the room um and because the fawn kind of realizes that there's a lot of chaos and like she needs help and he kind of comes back to her and is like okay like my bad. Sorry, girl. Sorry, like abandoned you for a hot second. Like, do you do? You, are you <laughs> still interested? Are you still interested? You still want to go their back task? to the underground? Yeah, yeah. You want to do that? Their task? Okay. Well, you need your brother. Like, yeah. and so she, uh, she like gets her little brother and uh, goes to the labyrinth to uh, find out what the final task yeah. is. And, um, again, I think there is like some miscommunication because I feel like Ophelia thought what the fawn wants her to do is like, she needs to sacrifice her brother Mm -hmm. because he, he needs the blood of innocence Mm -hmm. to open the labyrinth where Mm -hmm. they are. And she, she just watched her mom die Mm -hmm. in a very brutal way. And like, she, this like her brother's the only family she now has. She's like, hell no. Yeah. (laughs) doing that no not at all <laughs> and so there's this like back and forth between them and um, and the full moon is coming right yeah like, so we're, it's we're... happening mm-hmm. like it's like time's about to but videl sees uh ophelia take the baby and um he like pursues her in the labyrinth and there's kind of like time is of the essence mm-hmm. and the fawn she's like we gotta do this mm-hmm. like your family's waiting for you. Don't mm-hmm. you want your family? And she just kind of is like, no, she's I'm resigned. Yeah. She's yeah. like, I'm not going to let you like, cause in her mind, I think she thinks like the fawn's going to kill her brother. Yeah. And he's like, Oh no, just like a little drop. It's just a little <laughs> drop. You know, it's not that big of a deal, but because he is who he is, yeah. you, you just know if you can trust right. what he says. Well, rightly so. I mean, she, who is she, who does she trust? Yeah. Who can she trust? Yeah. yeah. And so, um, because, uh, the fawn doesn't get the little baby, um, kind of like in a sense, like the portal closes and we kind of like snap out of what's happening. We're like in reality and Videl sees Ophelia with her baby. He doesn't know what's going on. You know, he, he's like only mission in life is for his legacy (laughs) within this small child to like live and like, you know, carry on. He grabs the baby and then he just shoots Ophelia in the stomach. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so quick. And again, this Mm -hmm. person never thinks he just acts. He just turns around. Like he shoots her and he's just like, okay, bye. Yeah. bye. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he like, he returns to the labyrinth entrance after he leaves Ophelia. And mm -hmm. like, there's a shot of her just like lying on the ground. Like her, like it's. Yeah. She's on the, on her side. Yeah. And she's like bleeding out. Oh, it's awful. And he gets surrounded by rebels on his way out of the labyrinth. Yeah. And including Mercedes and Pedro, the guy that he tried to. Uh, torture and which is her brother her right? brother yeah. yeah 
Um, and he, the thing about him though, he's very pragmatic. He's like, fuck. Yeah. All right. You got me. (laughs) You know, for as awful as he is, he's very pragmatic. Um, so he's like, all right, I, well, you guys are going to kill me. And he, he like hands the baby to Mercedes and he's like asking that his son be told the time of his father's death because he's like super obsessed with this watch. We forgot about that. And I think that's. Isn't that like Ophelia's father's watch? Yes. Like we, there's a moment where, again, there's just so much that happens in this film. Yeah. Um, but we kind of know at some point that Vidal and Ophelia's father knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. And he has this watch that's like broken, and it is like the time. It's supposed to be like the time of death that yeah. her father yeah. uh, died. Um, and so yeah, he like he's like. Okay, can I just like have one little request? <laughs> can you tell my son the time that I died? And Mercedes is like, no, She's like, fuck no. He's not even gonna know that you exist. Not gonna know your name. Yeah. He's not gonna know shit about you. Yeah, because you're fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Pedro shoots Vidal dead, and that's the end of Vidal. Yes. Um. So like this ending with Ophelia's blood being spilled in this area where the portal was supposed to be, um, full, like we can assume fulfills this prophecy, prophecy of blood of an innocent Mm -hmm. who Ophelia is. I mean, she's like fulfilled this final task inadvertently. Yeah. Um, and by refusing to use her baby brother, like gets accepted into this realm of the, the underground is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, I think so. Into the kingdom yeah. and through her like birthright. Yeah, and we see like her, we see like her dad and her mom and her mom. She's like mm-hmm. thriving, <laughs> like this queen, and um, yeah, it's just like it's not the ending that I wish happened. Yeah, but in a sense, Ophelia gets the ending that she deserved. That she, that she wanted and that she deserved. Yeah. yeah. And it's so, like, I remember kind of tearing up because Mercedes, like, realizes, like, where's Ophelia? Yeah. And she, like, runs and she finds her and she's just, like... She's dead. She's just, like, devastated. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like Mercedes feels like, oh, like, maybe I did this, because, like, she tried, she tried mm-hmm. to go get Ophelia earlier, but mm-hmm. there's just so much happening, and she wanted to take Ophelia, you know, away, but, like, Ophelia wouldn't leave without her brother, and so there's just, like, all this, like, all these little, uh, you know, things in the way, yeah. and Mercedes just kind of, like, looks at Ophelia's, like, lifeless body, and we're in the reality of, like, holy shit, this is really yeah. fucked up, yeah. like, yeah, and, but, but where Ophelia is, is just, like, in this very f- fantastical, beautiful mm-hmm. underground world. Reunited with her parents. And, yeah. And, um, I think the ambiguousness of it, like, is it fantasy? Is it reality? Like, is, was all of this all in Ophelia's head? Mm. Or was some of this real like the you know the and i i like to believe like my read of it is like i would like to believe that um both existed like Mm -hmm. she 
both worlds exist and she did complete the task and she is where she's supposed to be and she made it out and Mm -hmm. is now existing on like another plane of reality somewhere else and like she didn't just get shot by this fucking psycho in vain and in Mm -hmm. cold blood and like that's the end of her like I really would like to believe that like the things that happened in her fantastical world like Mm -hmm. did happen in some level um Totally, yeah. yeah. I, I agree, yeah. It, I, I don't think it was just her coping. No. You know? No, yeah. yeah. And again, we, we touched upon that in the beginning of the episode of, like, you know, um, sometimes I think with innocence, it's easy to dissociate and, like, uh, create a world around you for yeah. self-preservation and to, like, protect yourself. But, yeah, in this in in this story, I, I too, want to believe that Ophelia, like, completed her tasks and this is the world she was supposed to live in yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And again, it, yeah, with like the mandrake group, you know, that was helping. There, there are too many little speckles mm-hmm. of of these two worlds existing mm-hmm. together. That you know, sure, we could we could just stay in the realm of oh, she just like created this world because right. it was the reality was awful yeah. and what was happening around her was. Too much. Too much. And, for her little brain. And that's okay, too, but um, I I want to stay in, like, that these two worlds were coexisting, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and that's the thing, too, like, in a lot of cultures, there are this, this duality of, like, lore and reality, and that a lot of cultures believe in both Mm -hmm. and that they exist in the same realm Mm -hmm. and i think for us to just be so black and white white, like (laughs) (laughs) um i I, yeah i i i I, like it's uh, sorry tangent um it's kind of the same thing of like i think it's so small-minded to be like we are the only species the only planet like i just think the world is so big that and we don't understand. And we don't everything. understand that. Yeah. And that's okay to not understand and to mm-hmm. not know, but that doesn't mean that those things do not exist. Yeah. That there are other worlds, other societies out there. Yeah. Um like yeah, to me it's just, it's too it's like it's almost like how narcissistic of of people we could be if, mm-hmm. if, if this is it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And, I mean, again, I just, I love Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Like, I love his storytelling. And I love his representation of women, too. Yes, in, yeah. In The Shape of Water, Crimson Peak, and in this film. Did you like Crimson Peak? I didn't love it. Mm. I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it. You liked it? <laughs> well, to me, and again, I, I haven't really looked into this, I really like the, uh, like, to me, it's very Edgar Allan Poe because of the sibling relationship. Yeah. And how none of one of them cannot exist without the other and once one falls like the other one will too and like their house is their legacy and it's always crumbling yeah um it's a weird one it's yeah (laughs) um but like in this film you know we've got really strong female characters Mm -hmm. who resist oppressive forces and this resistance of this patriarchal authority I think he just, he, he does this so well, like, even in the face of, like, fascism and, Mm -hmm. like, this horrible man, we're still able to see 
beauty and softness Mm -hmm. and like whimsy and, Mm -hmm. um, and these women defying these traditional roles and expectations and, um, I don't know, or just like left with this really beautiful story and this beautiful film. Yeah. And and it's, and it, and it visually is stunning. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, It's like the typical uh, color scheme that he uses, you know, really soft blues, muted beiges, deep reds, Mm -hmm. uh, and like just a lot of textures. Mm -hmm. And um, again, yeah, I just think he really seamlessly blends the world of fantasy and horror. Yeah. And that's why you never know, like, oh, is this a horror film? Like, what are you going to get? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess final question, Jazz, like, is this a horror film? I would say yes, just because, not just because of the fantasticalness of it all, but the real life horrors that are happening in this film are real. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And, um, and they're fucking scary. Yeah. And I think it was such a cool idea of just having, you know, Ophelia who is navigating this world of like dictatorship and a world that is demanding obedience. But she is, she is, you know, in a sense, like the straw that broke the camel's back because the whole time she does not fall in line. She doesn't conform. She doesn't uh, take Videl seriously. And that really gets to Mm. him. Because, again, like we said in the beginning, he he doesn't see her as a child. He already sees her as just, like, a person and that, like, you need to act a certain way. Yeah. And she's just like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're, you're, you're not my parent. I'm going to listen to my mom. And she barely listens to her mom, <laughs> you know? And, and you can't fault her for that because yeah. she's just trying to navigate this new world and, um, yeah. I And, it, yes, it, it is a horror film just because of what happens to the people in it. Yeah. But also just the fantasticalness of just the imagination of Guillermo del Toro, yeah. you know? And, um, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think this is a horror film too. And I think like horror isn't a monolith. Like yes. I think a lot of people have an idea of what horror is and mm-hmm. it's like, but it's so much more than that. Like we can have horror movies that explore n- these like, atrocities and and horrors but in a more nuanced way or in a more fantastical way Mm -hmm. like I think that uh horror can be so many things especially like our lived reality that we've talked about but um I I think the way that Guillermo does it is like so uniquely him Mm -hmm. and so interesting and I can't wait to see like what he does next yeah 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 and just this movie again it was like I know he had other movies before Pants Labyrinth came out, but you just can tell he, Guillermo has like a lot of integrity in his work. Yeah. And he loves what he does. Yes. And, uh, something I found out was, uh, he had already made like some kind of, uh, you know, Hollywood produced movie before this. I can't remember which one it was, but when making Pan's Labyrinth, it was a story he had been working on for years Mm -hmm. and years and years. And a lot of it, comes from, you know, his own life experiences or his lucid dreams that he had, uh, you know, and, um, and I love that too, that it's so, his, his movies are just so personal, but he 
didn't want it to become this like overproduced Hollywood film. He wanted all the creative control. Mm -hmm. So that's why he took it to Spain because mm -hmm. he knew he would have total autonomy of what it would be. And he used his own salary to produce this film. He didn't, he, during the film, he, he lost money, mm -hmm. but he wanted to make it in a way that he felt it should be. And that's why after, you know, so many years, it's just still this classic mm -hmm. masterpiece. And I would be so surprised if you would be like, oh, have you seen Patton's Labyrinth? And people would say, I don't like that film. Yeah. And if you, and again, I'm sure people have their own reasons why, but that's not been my experience every time I'm like, oh, you know. It's like a universal story. I mean, it comes yeah. back to that fairy tale, yeah. like these, these things that turn up in our childhood and like the the way we've all, we all can relate to mm -hmm. Ophelia's character. Yeah. yeah. And we're so drawn to it. Yeah. And Again, yeah. Whenever when I was I was telling uh, one of my coworkers we're gonna, we're going to cover Pan's Labyrinth, and they're just like, "Oh, I love yeah. that movie!" Yeah. And it's timeless. You know, we watched it with our friends, and it we were so enchanted. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just it's such a wonderful movie. Um, not like, oh, like the story is so wonderful, but it's just itself yeah. um, as a piece of art is just yeah. like it's 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 beautiful. Mwah. Chef's kiss. So, um. While you tell me about uh, our next film Yay! that we're going to talk about, I'm going to have a bite of one of these savory things that you brought. Mm. But yeah, Jazz, what is our next film? I am so pumped because we're going to cover Jennifer's Body. And I, we we kind of had a little fangirl moment before we started the episode because um, I already told Serena what I wanted to do. Um, but I remember when this movie came out and I was like, in it. I was like, yes, I I am all about this. But I'm excited to talk about it because it wasn't a well-received film in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And again, we've already we already know what we're gonna cover, like what we're gonna title that episode for, but <laughs> um I just think it's a really smart, funny. But anyways, yeah, we're coming Jennifer's body. Sounds good. Mm, how is that? Oh it's not what I was expecting. Yeah, it's like a uh, like a prosciutto fig. Mm, fig. Yeah. Mm. A little Danish. Delicious. Chili. Well, smacking your lips over there. That was um, a great conversation, dude. Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited for our next episode. Yes. Um, thanks, as always. Thank Listen, you. Dear Jazz. Thank you. <laughs> um, and thank you, dear listeners, for... Sorry, munching. Yeah, you munch. Um, thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Um, this episode will probably be on the longer side just because we had a lot to talk about, but mm -hmm. I hope you stayed tuned <laughs> throughout the conversation. Um, and we will see you guys in two weeks. Yeah. And um, when in doubt, uh, follow that fairy. Mm. <laughs> Whatever that, that means to follow you. Follow your fairy. Follow your fairy. Follow your fairy. You always come up with the best outros. Oh, well, I don't think so, but you're very kind. <laughs> um, I actually really laughed last time. I was like, plug, plug it up! up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much. I'm Jazz. I'm Serena. And this has been Babes for the Black Lagoon. Bye. Bye.